Well, guys, we want to bring a message this morning that is entitled, uh, When Continuity is Broken. And, and when, you, when we think about the continuity in, in our country today, and really all over the world, we have discovered that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And it applies to family life, it applies to work environments, it applies to church, it applies to a nation, it applies to a state. And, you know, it's a sad occurrence that today we all have experienced this broken continuity. Even to the point that even this virus has created division between states to where person comes to one state, they have to go back and be quarantined and honor that request. And we know the necessary things that has to happen. That's not to, uh, dis, you know, to, to think that things aren't real, because it is. But when you think of unity, there, there, is, there is great reward in being unified as a husband or wife, as a family, as, you know, an employer, as a community leader, as a church, a pastor, deacons, teachers, leaders, con congressional leadership, president of the United States, world leaders, everywhere you go, denominational leaders of various churches, it's, there is reward in being unified. And when that unity is broken, things began to happen that creates divide. And many years ago, that statement that was made by a president of our country that, you know, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And we'll see in Scripture that there was unity, the broken unity, and the results that happened. You know, I think that God relishes in the fact when you and I begin to love the unlovable, and we reach out to the unreachable, and that we become a ministry outpost to those around us. And we show that as Christian people, we're unified on purpose, that we're unified together, and we're bent on that purpose of serving the Lord God himself with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when people see that type of unification, what it does is it brings people to, to the understanding of why we are connected together as Christian people. And so in Acts chapter um, in, 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 in Acts chapter four, beginning in verse four, I mean chapter four, and moving into uh, Acts chapter five, we see a little bit of a story. Uh, there's good news, and then there's bad news in this story. And in Acts chapter four, beginning in verse 32, it says this, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one mind. Now that's unity in its truest definition. And no one said that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. There is more to that definition of unity. And then in verse 33, And with great power, I think as a result of what happened and said is in place in verse 32. Verse 33 says, And with great power the apostles were giving testimony 
to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And then in verse 34, for there was not a needy person among them because all of those who owned lands and houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, laid them at the apostles' feet, and then was distributed each person as anyone had a need. You can see the love. You can see the care. You see the, uh, you know, the provision that the church wanted to be and to make a difference in their community. And it was helping people. And it was causing people to turn to why they were doing what they were doing. And with great power, they preached about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. All because they were unified. Now Joseph, a Levite, a Cypriot by birth, whom the apostles named Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So here's a man who is titled son of encouragement and he offers encouragement by doing the same as everyone else did. They're just unified together to help people and to serve the Lord and to make a difference in the community and their kingdom. Now, verse 1 of chapter 5, things began to take a downward turn. Now, we see a very beautiful picture of unity, don't we, in Acts chapter 4. Now, look what happens when continuity is broken. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back a part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. You see what happened? I'm going to put a little bit in my pocket. I'm going to give the second pocket back. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds from the field? Was it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, was it at your disposal? Why is it that you plan this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When he heard these things, Ananias dropped dead, and great fear came on all those who heard it. The young men got up, wrapped his body, and carried him out and buried him. There was an interval of about three hours. Then his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. In other words, she didn't know her husband had died. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the field for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look. The feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they're getting ready to carry you out. And instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. So we start in Acts chapter 4 with a beautiful picture of unity. We end there in the first part of Acts chapter 5 
with the, the unity broken and the results that followed thereafter. So, so I'm asking the question as I look at these scriptures and I ask myself the question, what do, do, do I think and what do you think is the greatest quality of any New Testament church? It's got to go back to the unification, the unity. So what do you think is the greatest quality of any New Testament church? And I believe it has to do with unity. There was something about the group of people who they were loving on each other and they were, they were enthusiastic about being a part of other people's lives and helping them through the process of life so that they can open their hearts up to hear the powerful message of the Lord Jesus Christ so that the, each person would have opportunity to surrender their heart and life to the Lord God and be a changed person, join in with the New Testament church and to continue the expansion for the kingdom of God. That's what it was all about. It was not so that the church would look good and be patted on his back. It wasn't so that, that people could, could say, that's a great church, people. That was not what it was about. It was all about the Lord Jesus. And they were unified in that purpose. You see, that, that church was standing strong and it was standing tall. And it was, it, was, it was a representative of greatness for the Lord God. And so what happens when the church is unified? Let's focus on the positive here. What happens when the church is unified? And in many cases, in all the Christian organizations that you are a part of, it may also apply. And so first of all, based on verse 32 of Acts chapter 4, is oneness occurs. Oneness occurs. You know, we, we understand oneness. A husband and wife stand before one another, they share their vows, and they, they're married. And their lives blend together. It takes a little while, and, and you get used to one another. <laughs> and after a while, you, you find yourselves completing one another's sentences, <laughs> thinking some of the same thoughts. You start wearing clothes that match one another. <laughs> you know, you start liking the same foods and you want them to go to the same places. You know, oneness occurs in many facets of a husband and wife's lives. And so we understand oneness because of the personal nature. It happens with children and families is the children and, and the moms and dads, they become one and they're traveling together and they're going places and they're doing things and they become one as a family. But now broaden that oneness to a group of people that live in all different parts of a community who come from all walks of life, who have their own preferences and own traditions and own backgrounds and, and own beliefs and all of a sudden, that group comes together because of the Lord Jesus, and their oneness happens. We start calling one another brother and sisters. We start looking at ourselves as a family, and we realize that when one is hurt, the whole group suffers. When one is dismissed from life, we all grieve. You notice I said dismissed. 
And oneness occurs. And we understand that oneness. And it's a good thing. Because we begin to believe the same belief about what God can do and faith and trust and love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation and etc. begins to take focus and take shape in all of our lives and we begin to identify as a universal church, the Christian church, wherever we are. That's why you can come from another state, sit in here in this place and, and whether it's Boston or Maryland, and you come into this place and you feel at ease because you are a part of this oneness. And it's good. And that's the joy of being a part of the church. A church that is unified together stands tall. A church that is divided begins to fall. And so in verse 33, there's a second thing. What happens when the church is unified? Number two is that Jesus is preached. You know, many years ago, I, I listened to Reverend, it was Dr. Everett Talbert, a, a pulpiteer that really traveled, uh, so admired in the state of South Carolina and was in his later years became very, very, sought after because of his revivalism. And he would, to the day that he died, he would come to the, the pulpit and he, he was very tall and robust. He was one of those men you wouldn't want to meet in the alley if he was mean, you know what I mean? And he would kneel and bend a knee and he would quote that scripture of Psalm 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. And I could almost imitate it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. And he would quote that whole psalm, one, and then he would rise to his feet. Always had a group of 30 to 40 people off-site somewhere on their knees praying every time he preached. So when he preached... You, it was like the commercial when, you know, E.F. Hutton speaks, everyone listens. You remember that commercial? I know I'm dating myself. The younger generation has, thinks I'm going crazy here. But when he spoke, you listened. Why was that? Because he preached Jesus. He preached with great power and much grace was upon him on every word he spoke. I had the privilege of having him come to one of the churches that I served as pastor and he preached a revival meeting. And it went so well that within the following year when we were planning a revival meeting, the congregation, the deacons and leadership said, Pastor, get the same guy back. I said, okay, and we did. And, and as we were going through the revival, things began to happen in people's lives that were beyond belief. You know, if you wasn't there, it's almost like it's beyond belief. It's not for the Christian community, we, we know. But for those looking in, it's like beyond belief. And one of the things that, that I used to do is I'd take a day with the visiting pastor and we would go visiting. We'd take a day and go visiting in the community. And I always, in the rural area, you could do this more so than you can in the city life is we would always do 
cold turkey knocks on the door. Yeah. And so I kind of knew where people were and their schedules. And so I'm going down the highway. He said, brother, where are we going? I said, don't worry about it. The Lord will lead us. You know, trying to act like I knew what I was doing, you know, with the <laughs> guy that was. And so we're going down the highway, and all of a sudden I just turn. I had the unction, turn. And we found this, this gentleman by the name of Lenny. And he was outside working. And it was on the riverbank. And he welcomed us to his property. And we got to talking. And by that time, I realized that this guy that I brought in, all I had to do was just pull up a stool because I'm getting ready to watch a show here. And he began to converse with him, got to the brass knuckles of exactly what Lenny had been struggling with for so many years, his disbelief, his lack of faith, his doubting if God even existed. And Dr. Talbert nailed him to the tree. Not literally. He got him to answer questions that he didn't know existed within him. And I watched God do a remarkable thing as that whole family began to be converted over the next several days and weeks. Beautiful thing. And I look back at that, still gives me chills, is that he stood there and he, Jesus was preached and great power fell upon that family. And the church saw it happen one by one and were saying things, wow, pastor, what, you've done a good job with this family. I said, oh, no, not me. It's the power of God at work in the life of one individual. And something happened with the man of that house that just went on down that affected his sister's house and affected his mother and father's house. And before long, we had three or four families from that one, one conversation began to converge on the church because they were now saved and they believed in God and the church was, was unified because of the fact that Jesus was changing lives. So when, when the church is unified, Jesus is preached. Third of all, based on verse 33 of Acts chapter 4, says that grace, great grace was upon them. Grace is displayed. You know, one of the things that happens when a person gives their heart and their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how, how tough the man is or how, how rude a woman could be or how harsh the family is. When Jesus takes a hold of their heart, it's like watching the, the most strong-willed man stand before his bride at the altar and boo-hoo like a baby. You just see the walls are broken down. The grace of God is a powerful gift that interacts with the human heart that affects the emotions, it affects the drive, it affects the will, and it creates a new DNA within that person. The grace of God is so powerful that it can melt the coldest of hearts and it can change the most awkward mindset. Because when the grace of God is received and we understand it to be an unmerited, unearned gift given by God to us, it affects us from the inside out. So it's amazing that when oneness occurs because of Jesus and his power is displayed because of that preaching, that the grace of God falls ever so gently 
and powerfully upon the community at large and one person after another is changed because of that grace. You are a different person because of the grace of God. Thanks be unto God for that grace. And if you're struggling over issues in your own life, just hang on and ask God, get on your knee and say, God, will you give me a a display of your grace by coming into my situation and change this situation with your powerful grace. May I have a mindset and a mind of heart to be able to receive that grace, welcome it into my life, and realize it is your grace at work and no longer I. That's basically what Paul says, it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. At one time he said, I I want to get rid of Christ from the earth. I want to get rid of the Christians from the earth. And he says, you know, now save Jesus Christ and him be crucified. He realizes that he is behind Jesus and Jesus is in front of him. The thing that Everett Talbert taught me, he said, Benji, if you ever preach and you get out in front of the cross, you're going to get crucified. Stay behind the cross and let Jesus take your work further. Stay in that shadow of the cross and grace will be displayed. Verse 34, what happens when the church is unified In verse 34 of Acts chapter 4, it basically is that their needs were met. You see what happened when they they realized that they were in a wonderful position to, to make a difference in a person's life who had a need. And when they sold all that they had and began to meet the needs of those families... It's almost the the, the old additive, do you feed the hungry belly baby first or do you preach Christ? Do you meet their social need first or do you present Christ? Why not in the presentation of meeting their need and filling that hungry belly baby, go ahead and preach Christ at the same time and put the two together? And that's exactly what they did. And we know what happens in Acts because they continue to add to the church daily because people were converted, changed. Why? Because the church was standing tall together. We learned in Sunday school this last week, the redwood forest. Never thought about it. A redwood forest is only a forest because of the other trees. A redwood tree does not stand by itself. It has, does not have the strength to stand by itself. It grows the tallest tree and the fattest tree. The roots go out 100 feet. But the connection to a redwood forest is that the roots of all the trees began to interlock together and they become the strength of the forest. When all of our roots began to get connected because of the oneness in Christ, because of the grace of God, because of Jesus, whom he, he, who he's Lord of our lives, when we're all intertwined together, we're rooted together, then we stand tall and we stand strong. And the people 
of who's, who's looking around us as the universal Christian church all over the world, they look around us and they see that that church is unified because of Jesus. And it makes the greatest difference. But we know something happens in the midst of this wonderful unity. And if I could have reversed the scripture here and speak the negative so I can end on the positive, I would, but I couldn't change it. So unfortunately, I'm going to end on a little negative note. And so what happens when continuity is broken? I like to take the word continuity and call it continuity. What happens when the things that continue in life is no longer continuing? Therefore, the continuity is broken. And so what happens when it is broken? We see in chapter 5, verse 5 of Acts, there in Acts, what happened? Ananias and Sapphira, they, they both come into uh, the community. They are part of the community, but something happens. And we know that in the recognition of what Peter says to Ananias, Satan entered into the mindset of this couple in the midst of a unified body of people. And as a result, we see that here just that quick, the standing tall, strong church begins to become weak when the continuity is broken. If I could stand before Congress today, I'd preach the same message. And I would look at every one of those men and women and I'd say the result of the fighting and the disruption and the hatred and the bitterness that is happening in the world today resulting from your disagreements. You hate one another in congressional leadership, so therefore it's passing on all to the community in which we live and all over the world. You are the blame for the disunity that is happening. It is not a brother and sister traveling down a road who get road rage and begin to fight. It begins from the top and goes down. Clean your disunity up, get unified, and watch what happens to the country. And the same thing applies to the church today. The churches and denominational leaders, if they could come together in that oneness, they would stand tall and make a greater difference. But when the continuity is broken and the unity it becomes disunity, things began to break down. And we see that with just two people, a husband and a wife, who says, I got an idea. We'll sell everything we've got. We'll sell a portion of this land. No one will really notice. And I'll keep a portion of myself, and then we'll give a large portion to the church. But that was not what was commanded. That was not what was expected during that time. This is not a tithing lesson. This is not to tell you to go get your checkbook and go bankrupt today. That's not what it's... Although it would help, probably. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not what it's about. This is not a tithing lesson. This is about a group of people who saw people in need and unified themselves together. And the only solution was for them to sell everything they had and start distributing it to the poor to rise them up so that they could have opportunity to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. That was their goal. And this couple says no. And they kept a little bit. So... Peter comes up to Ananias. Hey, dude, <laughs> just be honest with me. Why did you do it? 
What do you mean? Why did I do it? What are you talking about? Did you not have in your heart evil by taking what was God's and putting it in your pocket? Yes. He finally admitted it after all those questions. And at the moment he said that, he dropped dead. But this is the result. Fear came. So, so first of all, what happens when continuity is broken, discipline is handed down. We see that in verse 5. And there was a great discipline. I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing you stand there with your hand over your cheeks and go, Wow. And you wonder, oh boy, did for some reason, even in my unconsciousness, did I keep a penny to myself? And if you did, you reach in your pocket and you flip it real quick and hope nobody notices. (laughs) (laughs) And as a result, three hours later, the wife comes into the room and the same thing happens. She drops dead. And this is what happens when continuity is broken. Fear is experienced. Fear that says we can't do this anymore. We don't have the capabilities. It's not going to happen. We become fearful of those things around us. And we begin to live in fear. And when continuity or that continuity, if I may use that word, if that continuation is disrupted, if that continuity stops, then fear is experienced. And if fear is more more on the forefront, what's going to be on the back burner? But Jesus. We're getting in front of the cross and we're trying to handle it ourselves, and we become fearful. And as a result, decisions can't be made and people can't make up their mind to do this, that, or the other. And you see that all over the world these days. We're experiencing it every day. And fear happens when unity is broken. But I'm so thankful And to try to move this back to the positive. I'm so thankful that God knows everything about us. He knows the difficulty we can create, I can create, you can create. He knows the difficulties and he knows that the inkling of a second, a split second, can change it all. And yet in spite of knowing all that, he still pours out his grace and he still works in our behalf in spite of everything he knows about us. When I look in the mirror, I see a physical body. But when God looks at me, he sees the inside. And so he knows everything about you and I. He knows when we get up. He knows when we lay down. He knows when we are traveling. He knows when we're in hibernation. (laughs) He knows when we are out and about, and he knows when we're quarantined. He knows everything about us, and he still loves us. When I look in the mirror, and if I could go flashback to what I looked like when I was 25, you know, it looked different than it looks today at 55. And Renee and I, Renee was reminding me that we've known each other for 40 years. 
I wish I could find that one picture back on was uh, January 16th of 1981 to what it is today. It's different. And yet, we see that difference. God sees the inside. And He knows everything about us. And you and I lay our life before Him. And when we lay our life before Him, He uses that intention and an agreement of our heart with His, and He blesses us with grace and mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation. He gives us power. He gives us courage. He gives us boldness. He gives us faith. He gives us hope. He gives us assurance. All those things in spite of the evil that we may attach ourselves to from time to time. So we understand the joy and the benefits are better when we're unified than when we're divided. Because a house against itself cannot stand. It will only get worse. So when disunity occurs, this is the fact, continuity is broken. So the ultimate question is this. What will you do to protect the unity of the church? And I'm not just talking about gathering community church. I'm talking about the universal church. All of us together as Christian people, even in all our differences of denomination, which is fine, and it's okay. We all have our different traditions. It's fine. We take communion in different ways. We share Christ in different ways. We do ministries in different ways. But we do not part from the one true claim that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. He, resurrected, he died, he, he was buried, he was crucified, died, buried, and resurrected, and ascended back to the Father and will one day come back to rapture his church. That cannot change. So what will you do to protect that? That belief and that unity of the church. Today is really a message about accentuating the unity than it is to highlight the disunity. And I hope you've heard that in the message. And the joy of that unity together. That's why we can hold one another's hands and cry with one another. That's why we can travel with one another for greater purposes and goals. And that's why we feel each other's pain and we carry each other's burdens because we're unified in that belief. Thanks be unto God for the greatest unity that exists today. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three entities, one God. And there's nothing that can break up that unity. And we serve that God. He is Lord of our life. He's the Father who knows it all. He's the Father we pray to. He's the Father that, that you and I took our lives into. He's the Father who gives us strength. He's the Father who guides us. And He expects us to call out to Him as our Daddy. Communicate, place our life before Him, and just relish in the fact that He is God 
and we are his subjects in agreement, not a contract, in an agreement of our heart connected to his. Father, I thank you that you give us opportunity this morning to think about, to discover, to implement, even contemplate further our role in the unity of the kingdom of God. We thank you that you are a jealous God, that you are singular as one God. And we serve you with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, because we are commanded to love you with all our being. Father, thank you for providing all that you provide and caring with all the care that you give and for the gift of grace and mercy so that we as a group of people, as a body in Christ, as brothers and sisters, as your adored family, the bride of Christ, that we are together serving you with all our being. Father, thank you for allowing the beauty of the experience of unity and the effects that are far-reaching. May we as a church community all over the world rise up and demonstrate to the weak individuals who can't make up their mind and work in with one another in agreement with one another. May we affect the world leadership. Thank you, Father, for calling us to be yours. In your name that we pray, amen.